I love your church. I'm excited to be here. It's, a, it's an honor and a privilege. And uh, the clip we just showed was one of the most famous movie clips of all time. It's Robin Williams in Dead Poet Society talking about carpe diem, seizing the day. And the idea being that you get one shot at this life. And he's talking to some young boys in this particular clip. And he's saying, what are you going to make of it? And the reality is, you do. You, you get one shot. And there's all kinds of ways you can spend that shot. And one of the ways I want to talk about not spending it today is that of being a sideliner. There's, there's a book called Chasing Daylight by Erwin McManus. And in that book, Erwin McManus talks about what it means to be a sideliner. And a sideliner is somebody who doesn't actually get into the game, but sits on the sidelines and watches the game. Or as you'll see in a moment, somebody who's in the game, but doesn't really play the game. And when it comes to your life, you don't want to be somebody who just sits and watches life go by. You want to be a person that embraces life and does something with life. In the book, Chasing Daylight, Erwin McManus says this. It's kind of a long quote, but I want to share it with you. He says, I have a confession. Most of my life, I was a sideliner. I was an observer of life rather than a liver of life. At the high school dance, I watched people on the dance floor. I rehearsed the invitation again and again, would you like to dance? But I could never muster up the courage. If what happened inside your head counted, I would have danced with a hundred different girls, but in the end, I was still a sideliner. He says the same of sports. He says the same was true in sports. I had a moment or two here and there, but most of the time, I was a sideliner, watching others play the game while I sat close enough to feel the impact of shoulder pads hitting, yet remained a safe distance away. I was a sideliner. He says, sometimes you can even be on the field in the game and you look like a player, but you're really just a sideliner. In league basketball, I would position myself to make sure I didn't get the critical pass. So he didn't want to be the guy shooting, shooting you know, the kids practice their whole lives, three, two, one, shoot. He didn't want to be that guy. He didn't want to be the guy taking the last shot and putting everything on the line. And I don't think that's the spirit of Jesus Christ. I think the spirit of Jesus Christ would say, do something with your life. Get out there, make the most of it. Put yourself at risk. I mean, think about the cross. The cross was a risk. It was painful. It was hard. But he went there. He would say, take some risks in your life. Risk suffering, risk pain, risk loss. And I want to point out one of the things that that Erwin McManus said. He said, if what happened inside your head counted, I would have danced with a hundred different girls. It's one thing to think about living life. It's one thing to think, well, one of these days, yeah, I might. Or to have plans and ideas. It's another thing entirely to actually implement those plans and ideas. It's one thing to talk about doing something. It's another thing to step forward and actually do something. So I'm going to reference an ancient, not an ancient document, but an older document called the Westminster Catechism today. Because when we talk about carpe diem, when we talk about seizing the day, what exactly are we talking about? Uh, You know, there's all kinds of ways you could say seize the day. Do I just want to live for what feels good and be a hedonist and seize the day in that way? You know, what is the right way to seize the day? And in the Westminster Catechism, it talks about what the chief duty of man is. What are you here on earth for? And I'm going to give you a quiz, a little little three-choice, multiple-choice quiz. And I want you to decide which of these do you think the Westminster Catechism describes as the chief duty of man. Number one is the chief duty of man to eat Cheetos and binge-watch The Office. (laughs) Number two, work hard drive a cool car. Or number three, glorify God and delight in him forever. So I heard somebody mumble. What do you think here? See, you're you're way smarter than Chad makes you out. (laughs) Glorify God and delight in him forever. If you're going to seize the day, that's what it looks like. 
is you see God, you recognize God, and you give him what is due. You get excited about him, and you live with him. And so when we talk about seizing the day and the chief duty of man being glorify God and delight in him forever, I'm going to give you three points today that will help seize the day, that will help you from, keep you from being a sideliner. Number one is giving credit where credit is due, like I just mentioned. We'll talk about these as we go on. They'll start to make sense. But number two is learning four words. If you can le- learn four words and you can use those four words, you're going to see a difference in your life in the amount of sidelining versus carpe diem. And then thirdly, you're going to add an apostrophe T. And I promise some of this will make sense as we go. My wife and I just came back from Turkey, where, of course, Turkey is an Islamic culture. It's a Muslim culture. Some of you are already offended that I have a Muslim praying in the church. And what happens in in Turkey is several times a day, I think it's five times a day, the call to prayer goes out. And so they have these loudspeakers over the mosques and somebody starts singing and chanting and a lot of people will pour into the local mosque. Not everybody, they, they have all kinds of little loopholes where they don't have to do this. But a lot of people will go into the mosque and they'll assume this posture. And this is the posture that I wanna talk about. I don't think Muslims should have a monopoly on the posture of submission to God. And so my, my question is, in your heart and in your life, is this your posture? Physically, how many Christians have actually ever physically taken a posture like this and said, my life is yours, I give myself to you? But more than that, when it comes to Christianity and when it comes to Jesus, when we give credit where credit is due, we recognize that every beat of our heart is a gift from God. We recognize that every breath in our lungs is a gift from God. Somebody came up to me during the service and talked about to whom, who has been forgiven much, loves much. We have been forgiven much, and it's just, it's, it's a natural response to the love of God to bow down in abject surrender to him and say, I am yours. What do you want from me? It's giving credit where credit is due. In, in, in Muslim culture, they have this word called inshallah, and you hear this all the time in a Muslim country. And inshallah means the will of God, and so they use it in, like this. They'll say, tomorrow morning, we're going to take a tour. The tour will start at 9 o'clock, inshallah, which means if God wills it, which means it's probably not going to start at 9. They'll say... They'll say, we'll meet you at lunch at noon, inshallah, or I'm going to move to another country, inshallah. It's, it, they, they follow up everything they say with, if God wills it. It's this idea of surrender. And I say Christians could learn from that, that we make our plans, we set our vision, but we surrender everything to God. And, and Christianity speaks of similar ideas. It says, God reigns over the nations. God is seated on his holy throne. And then elsewhere in 1 Peter, it says, in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. To sanctify is to make sheltered. It's like putting God in your heart and allowing him to reign there on his throne. It said he reigns on his throne. And then this seems to describe where that throne is. And that throne is in the hearts of men. See, God is going to reign over nature with or without your help. He's gonna reign over the universe with or without your help. But he has given you a will to choose. And you can choose to take a posture of surrender. You can choose to say yes to him, or you can choose to deny him. So if God says, knowing that every breath in your lungs is a gift from him, knowing that every heartbeat comes from him, and whom whom, whom has been forgiven much loves much, if God says to you, you ought to think about building a chicken coop, what should you do? I feel like the answer is really obvious. (laughs) You build a chicken coop right? If he says, move to Afghanistan, what should you do? If he says, forgive that person who hurt you, what should you do? 
You give credit where credit is due and recognize that he's God and you're not. Whatever he says, the answer is obviously yes. Now, there's a lot of questions as far as, far as when you're hearing him and when you're not, but we're talking about an attitude. We're talking about a surrender and submission to God. So I want to teach you four words that will help you in that journey. And when I first remember using these four words, and, I, and I'm, 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 I, I told him last service, I'm a little embarrassed to talk about this because I'm going to tell you my story today, and sometimes that just feels narcissistic and selfish, but the best stories I got are my stories. It's, 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 it's my life, and I, I'm going to share with you from my experiences. But I was in Phoenix, Arizona at First Assembly of God in Phoenix, which was one of the largest churches in the country at the time, and they were putting on a pastor's conference. And my campus pastor had invited me. I don't know why he invited me, but he invited me to attend with him. And so I went there, and it was a great service, or a great collection of services. But in one of the electives, a guy was talking about undergirding and supporting your pastor. He said, every pastor needs somebody who will come alongside them and serve them. Every pastor needs somebody who will set up the chairs before a meeting, who will help make the bank deposits, who will encourage them, who will speak highly of them when others are speaking lowly of them. He said, every pastor needs those people. And my response to that was really simple. It was four words. I said, and I, re- I kind of remember thinking this out loud, thinking it out loud. That made no sense at all. I kind of remember thinking this. I thought, I can do that. Somebody needs to step up and support the pastor. I can, I can do that. I can go back to my campus and I can, I can set up the chairs before the meeting. I can, you know, I can fill his car with gas when I know he's going on a long trip. I can just, whatever, whatever I can do to support him, I can do that. And the wild thing is that that turned into a 20-year career for me. I I stepped up as a sophomore in college and started supporting him and saying, what do you need done and going and doing it? Something needed to be picked up at the post office. I went and picked it up. Something needed to be dropped off elsewhere. Somebody needed a phone call. I made the phone call. And it turned into, I ended up being his associate pastor for years and served with him for, for a good 20 years there at Murray State University. And it all started with somebody saying, somebody ought to support the pastor. And I thought, well, I can do that. Years later, I'm at Cornerstone Festival. Now, has anybody ever been to Cornerstone Festival? Anybody at all? I'm the only cool person in the room. Yes. <laughs> Cornerstone used to have about 300 bands that would play over a four-day period. And you'd go camp out and just enjoy. And they would have electives. They would bring in speakers and authors. And during one of the electives, a guy that was presenting said, said basically, he said, guys, I don't do this very often but I feel like I have a prophecy for you guys. And he said, I feel like somebody in this tent right now is going to write a book that's really important. And you need to get on that. You need to go ahead and write that book. And guess what I thought? I'll put it on the screen in case everybody's confused at this point. I thought I can do that. I, I, you know, I didn't know much about writing a book. I'd taken some, some creative writing classes but I went and I, read, I bought some books on how to write books, and I started writing a book. I started getting my butt in a chair and typing on a, type, on a, on a computer. And eventually I had a book. It's really shocking. You sit down, you start typing, and eventually a book happens. It's really amazing. But I, I wrote a book, and I learned about publishing, and I, and, and I wrote another book, and, and there's been seven or 8,000 copies of those books out in the hands of people now. And it all started with... A guy saying in a tent one day, somebody in here ought to write a book, and I thought, I can do that. Not a big deal. I'll just, I'll just start typing and see what happens. And then years later after that, I'm at a, uh, a sectional meeting of ministers in Kentucky, and my credentials are with the Assemblies of God, and it was an Assemblies of God little sectional meeting, 
And the, the guy preaching was the sectional pres, or the, the district presbyter. So he was the head of the Kentucky District of the Assemblies of God. And he's, he's a relatively conservative guy. He preaches in a suit and tie most of the time. And, and I was a campus pastor, so I was in with blue jeans with holes in the knees and a button-up shirt. And he was talking about church planting and just the importance of church planting. And I remember him pounding on the pulpit like this. And he was talking about a church that he had been in that year. He said, he said I, I met a guy in the foyer of that church, and that guy was wearing jeans with, with holes in the knees, and he said, and he had a white t-shirt on. He said, it wasn't even a nice white t-shirt. He said, it was a Hanes Pack white t-shirt. <laughs> and so he, go, he, said, he said, I went into the service, and this is when he pounds on the pulpit. He said, guys, it's the most powerful service I've been in in years. He says, we need churches like that in Kentucky. And I think this may be beyond you guys at this point, but guess what I thought? That's right. I thought I can do that. I thought I can, I can wear a Hanes Pack t-shirt, right? I can, I can start a church and preach in that. I mean, that's my vibe. That's my thing. I'm a campus pastor. If I was going to start a church, I, I could do it. And people had, people had asked me for years why I didn't start a church. And the answer is always because people are awful. And <laughs> I've, known, I've known a lot of pastors and it's just a hard job. They say there's the three hardest jobs in America are hospital administrator, university president and pastoring a church because you have to deal with people so much. And I don't want to be a pastor. But when he said that, he said, we need churches in Kentucky. And I sh if I could avoid saying it, I probably would have, but I thought I could do that. So, and, and I'm sitting there and, I'm, and, I'm, and I have this running dialogue with Jesus all the time. And I told Jesus I could do that. And then I said, but if I, went, I, said, if I was going to start a church, I said, I want it to have a really cool name that nobody else has. These are the kind of things I talk to Jesus about. And immediately I thought daylight church, like this just pops in my head. And I'm not saying that was a miracle or anything. I'm just saying that's what happened. And I'm thinking that, well, there's got to be at least a dozen daylight churches in the country. So while he's still preaching, while the guy in the suit is still preaching, I'm, I'm typing on my mobile device. I think it was my phone, daylight church, just looking up to see if there's any. And there's one in Detroit, Michigan. It's called Daylight Christian Community Center. And other than that, I can't find a single daylight church anywhere in the country. And daylightchurch.com is available. So while he's preaching, I buy daylightchurch.com. And I'm, you, you can always tell who's on their mobile device because they're staring at their crotch and smiling during service, right? <laughs> and so, so I buy daylightchurch.com, there's daylightchurch.com. And I go home and I tell my wife, hey, I think we should move to Louisville and start a church. And she's, she says, okay, let's do it. And we stay up that night talking about it. And uh, the next morning I get up and I have no idea how to start a church. I'm absolutely clueless. So I get on amazon.com and I type in church planting in the book section and I buy 14 of the top 20 church planting books. <laughs> and they start showing up two days later and I start reading them. And if you read these books, they kind of teach you how to start a church if you want to. So I did, I just step-by-step step started doing what they said you ought to do. And one of, one of the things they say is that you ought to write a church proposal. And our church proposal ended up being uh, about a 14-page document. It's a PDF that we started sending out. It's just talking about your vision, who you are, what you're about, who, who you are personally, and then what the church will be about. And the really cool thing about starting a church is you get to start the church that you want. It's the church I've always wanted to go to is the church that we started. And so we started a church on four pillars, humanitarian service, apologetics and study, worship and devotion, missions and outreach. And we just said, this is who we're going to be. And we sent this document out to everybody I had met over the years after I said I can do that the first time. And after I said I can do that the second time, I had met a whole lot of people. 
And some of those people had means. And like 60 grand came in just like that. Like, like within a month, we had $60,000 in the bank for this church plant. And so we decided to go to Louisville and start this church. And what the books tell you is that you need a team to start a church. Go figure. And they say you need four people, really, to start a church. Number one, you need a pastor. And he ought to be really charismatic, a great teacher, extremely handsome, and hilarious. And so... <laughs> I, I don't see why that's funny. <laughs> they say you need a children's pastor. So I called up my friend Liz, and Liz had just graduated college at Murray State, where I had spent my I can do that years. And I said, Liz, you just graduated. What are your plans? She said, I don't really know. And I said, have you ever thought about doing children's ministry? Because children's ministry is a big deal. You've got to have a children's pastor. Whoever the children's pastor is here, good job. You're building the church. I called Liz up. I said, Liz, have you ever thought about being a children's pastor? She said, all the time. I said, you want to move to Louisville and start a church? She said, yes. So we had two people on our team. And then they say, you got to have a music leader, and you don't want me leading music. So I called up my friend Kaylee, who was already in Louisville, and said, Kaylee has her uh, master's degree in music and is an incredible musician. And I said, hey, you want to start a church? She said, yes, yes, yes. And she, she says her and her husband Carl stayed up all night celebrating once they got my phone call. And they also say you got to have the go-to guy. And the go-to guy is the guy who will carry the heavy stuff. This is kind of the stuff they say actually in the books. Carry the heavy stuff, set up the chairs, make the deposits, organize the ushers, all this kind of stuff. you got to have the go-to guy who will just do whatever the stuff is that you need done. And the wild thing is when I called Kaylee, I talked to Carl, and Carl said, man, I'm, I'm on board with this. I said, well, what, what do you see yourself doing? He said, I can carry heavy stuff. I mean, that, that was literally his words. He said, I'll carry stuff for you. He said, I'll just, whatever you need done, you just tell me. So we've got our team, boom. Just after like a week of phone calls, we've got our team, and we move forward. And then we needed a location. That's obviously an, a, a necessity for a church. And so we, uh, I really wanted to plant our church in what's called the Mega Cavern in Louisville, which is a big cave, and they shot me down immediately. I just thought that would be amazing, start a church in a cave. That's like national news type stuff. But they, I'm still gunning for it. I'm going to go back in a couple years and say, really, we need to be in your cave. Which doesn't make sense. Daylight Church in a Cave doesn't ring true, but it's still, I'm going for it. But I went to the Stony Brook Theaters, which was right smack in the middle of where I thought would be a great spot in Louisville. And I walked in and met the, met the manager, and within two minutes, it was a done deal. She had, she had moved from Nashville to Louisville recently. And while she was in Nashville, she had, she had been a part of two church plants in the theater she had there. So she knew all the ropes. She's like, you're going to need this much insurance. You're going to need this. We'll give you signage. You can do this, 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 this. And she just laid it out there for me, all the stuff that I need to do to start a church in a theater. They give us a stand-up banner 24 hours a day, every single day. Right there where you tear off your tickets is a big daylight church banner that everybody sees. That's worth what we pay in rent right there. But it just happened. Boom, boom, boom. And... Uh, we, we planted in what we call a 4D theater, so it's, it's better than 3D, and I actually had some of the technology installed in here today so I could show you guys how cool it is, and here's what we're going to do. I need your assistance in this. In a moment, I'm going to play a video on the screen, and it's going to count down three, don't shake your head at me. <laughs> it's going to count down three, two, one. Here's what I need you to do, and it, 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 it'll be much, much more effective if you'll do it with me. I need you to gently blow towards one of the, one of the three screens in front of you, okay? Will you guys do that for me? It's not as dorky as it seems. Here we go. When it tells you to, blow on the screens. So we planted a church, and uh, 
You guys' sense of humor is terrible. It's not that funny. <laughs> we planted a church for not-so-churchy people, and people started showing up, like Karen Canary, for example. And Karen was a friend of a friend that heard about our church, and she showed up, and she came a couple times because we were having monthly services. We called them practice services. So we could see if, make sure we could get the mics to work and that our technology was working. And Karen showed up, and after one of the services, I had met her, and I said, I said, Karen, next time when you come, bring some friends. She said, I don't have any friends. I said, well, think of somebody. Everybody knows somebody. So the next practice service, Karen showed up. She showed up with her knitting club. And we, we are a church that has marketed from the very beginning as a, not so, a church for not-so-churchy people, and we cater to 20 to 40-year-olds. Louisville is the number one city in America for drawing and keeping post-college educated professionals. So people graduate school and they move to Louisville and they stay for their entire lives. So we target 20 to 40-year-olds, although we welcome anybody. Well, her knitting club shows up and Eleanor Cooper and Marsha Roberts show up and Eleanor and Marsha are both in their 80s and they approach our coffee girl and Eleanor says to Julie, she says, is this anything like Southeast Church? And Southeast is the, one of the, it's the fifth largest church in the country. There's 23,000 people every Sunday and it's there in Louisville. And she said, well, no, we're not affiliated with Louisville. It's, I mean, with, with Southeast, but it's, it's a great church, but we're just not you know, part of them. And she says, well, she says, because we're Methodist. And, and Julie said, well, that's great. We love Methodists. We're really glad you're here. Well, Marsha walks up to me and looks me up and down in my jeans with holes. I, I dressed up for you guys today. There's no holes. <laughs> jeans with holes in the knees. And she looks me down and, and back up. She says, you're the preacher. And I said, yeah. And I said, my name's HL. You can call me H. She said, I don't want to call you H. <laughs> I said, okay, well, you can call me reverend or pastor or whatever floats your boat, whatever makes you comfortable. Well, Marsha and I have become good friends. I got, I got an email from Eleanor. I didn't share this last service. I got an email from Eleanor that week. She said, that's the most powerful service we've been in in a long time. They just, I mean, and they've been there every week since then. Uh, Marsha has become our web guru, believe it or not. Um, she's in her 80s, and uh, I found out she did coding, and she does it way better than me. I developed our website. I haven't touched it in years because she does everything. But I wrote her an email one day and said, Marsha, you know, we need all this stuff done on the website. We need our Vimeo account updated, our podcast updated, our, you know, vidcast done, and, and here's the coding for it. Could you possibly cover this? And it's, it's a lot of work, and if you don't want to handle it, I'll understand. She wrote me back an email that basically said, and, and I might be reading too much into it, but it basically said, look, Sonny, I ran the nine national databases for AT&T for years. I think I can handle your piddly little website, <laughs> right? So... So God just started, you know, Karen, who said, I don't have any friends, started building our church. And then Eleanor invited her son and daughter, and they've kind of become our huge financial backers of the church, but people just started coming. And now we have this church for not-so-churchy people, and we run about 120 people on a Sunday morning, um, and we're just the most awesome church in the country. I know you guys think you are, but you're just not. We, uh, <laughs> we give away a pound of bacon to every male that comes on Father's Day. Therefore, we win, right? <laughs> we buy out a theater to show Star Wars. We, so we buy, every time a new Star Wars comes out, we buy out the theater for our volunteers. Um, we, we just do all kinds of fun stuff to keep it not so churchy. We don't take anything for granted. When people come in, we don't assume they know what it means to turn to the book of Colossians. And probably, I may have said this already, but probably 30 to 50% of our people had no church background three years ago. They're coming in from no church to falling in love with a church and a church community. And, and like our first pillar is humanitarian service. We're involved with a place called Site 61, which feeds people who have a hard time feeding themselves. Another ministry called Dare to Care that feeds people all over the, all over the county. Um, we work with Teen Challenge, uh, which is a, a, a drug, drug addiction rehab center. Uh, every single week, the girls of St. Jude's, which is another recovery center there in Louisville, pour in. Is that me? I'm suspecting that's me. That's the beard. 
Don't be jealous. Every, every week, the girls from St. Jude's and other recovery center fill our second row, and they're my amen corner. I mean, they're excited about the service. They're getting baptized. They're getting excited about God. And it's just, it's, it's an awesome, it's the church I've always wanted to go to. And it started, it started with me saying, I can do that, when a guy said, let's plant a church, and then reading some books. But here's what's so important about the apostrophe T is you need to realize that you, you can do it, but you can't. You got to have that apostrophe T that says, I really can't do this thing. I'm willing I'm able to step up and take life by the horns and do something, carpe diem, and not be a sideliner. But ultimately, you can't change a city, you can't transform a life, you can't heal a person. There's not much you really can do. And so what we've believed from the beginning and what we've prayed from the beginning is we've, we pray, God, we will do the little stuff that we can do, and we will ask you to do the stuff that we can't. And that's a huge part of this carpe diem issue of not being a sideliner, is that you do what you can do and let God do the rest. God never asked Moses to part the Red Sea. God asked Moses to pick up a stick. He never asked David to kill Goliath. He asked David to sling a stone. See, they did what they could do, and God did the miraculous and did the supernatural. And that's what we've seen at daylight. And if you look back at the history of the stuff that I've shared with you, I needed someone to say to me, someone needs to support their pastor. See, I didn't even come to that conclusion by myself. I can't come to that conclusion. Somebody taught me to do that, and I agreed. I, 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 writing a book wasn't even on my radar. Planting a church wasn't even something I was considering, but somebody stepped up and said, would you? And I responded. I needed people to even give me the opportunity to respond. We can't do things alone, no man is an island. You need people, you need a church community, you need a pastor, and so forth. You need people to help you. I couldn't plant a church, I didn't know how, but somebody thankfully wrote books, and who knows who influenced who, so, who, influenced who so that those books were ever written. I can't do this stuff on my own, but I can listen to other people and learn from their expertise. Same with a church proposal, I didn't know how to do it. And I needed Liz, and Kaylee, and Carl, and Karen Canary. And today I acquired my favorite material possession of my entire life. It's something I've wanted for years and years, and today it is mine. And it's a cardboard cutout of your pastor. <laughs> We're going to get crazy mileage out of this thing. I mean, it's going to show up in uh, it, all over the world. I'm going to have pictures of it bungee jumping. I mean, it's going to be incredible. Now, your pastor is conceivably my best friend in the world. He, he's just a top-notch wonderful human. I mean, it, like you look up wonderful human and there is a picture of him. <laughs> and I, I called up Chad when we started talking about doing this thing over in daylight and said, would you consider supporting us? And he took it to the team. And you guys have been supporting us for the last three years substantially. And so I say that, one, to say thank you. And two, to say, when you, when you give to this church and when you're a part of this church, it's affecting way more than the church. Every single week that we have unchurched people coming to daylight and hearing about Jesus for the very first time. I had one of the St. Jude's girls come to us about a month ago and say, this is the first time in my entire life I've ever been in a church. And she says, I can't wait to come back next week. Thanks for making an atheist want to come to church. And you guys are doing that over there. When you guys give and when you guys serve and when you guys build a community, it affects more than just here. So thank you. Thank you very much. But two, I want to say that I need guys like your pastor. That's so hard for me to say. I'm just really uncomfortable right now. Uh, you know, probably, probably a month ago, I, I, man, I was at a, po a point in my life where if there was a 
give up at life button, I was thinking about pushing it. It, it just, you know, I'm not, and I'm not talking about suicide or anything like that. I'm just saying that life was beating me up pretty bad. And I, I just wanted to say, okay, life, you win. What, whatever, you win. And I sat down and talked with a, a guy named Justin Farrell who attends church here. He's, he treated me to breakfast. And then I sat down with Chad over lunch. And he just really gave me what I needed as far as some encouragement and some challenges. You know, he, he just allowed, helped me to look at some areas of my life that I was looking at wrongly. Uh, but he, he's that kind of guy. I sat down with him for an hour and a half, two hours, and he just fed my soul. And that's what happens when you're with Pastor Chad. But I'm saying all that to say, you need people like that in your life too. You, you can do it. You can say, I can do that, but you can't do it alone. You need God to show up and do stuff that you can't do, and you need people to walk with you and encourage you. I want to introduce Bridget Cleary to you. When we started Daylight Church, we prayed that prayer a lot. I pray that we'll do what we can do and that, you, that God, that you'll do what we can't do. Our very first launch service, which was in September of 2014, I got an email that week because we had passed, we'd sent out 50,000 flyers into the community. And I got an email from somebody who described herself as a grieving mama. She said, I'm a grieving mama. And she had lost her son and her son's fiance in a motorcycle accident that February. So this was September. She said, I, you know, I lost my son, I'm, I'm wounded, I'm grieving, I can't live with myself, I can't cope. And so I emailed her back and said, I'd love to meet you. If you come to daylight, please make sure and introduce yourself to me before the service. I'd, I'd love to help in any way I can. So she shows up at our launch service in September 14, shakes my hand before the service, introduces herself, I hug her and pray with her. And then when the service launches, when I start my sermon, I talk about her first. She's the very first thing in my, that comes out of my mouth. I say, there's, I say, there's a grieving mama with us here today. I'm so thankful she came. There were about 142 people that showed up. And I said, she lost her son in, in February to a motorcycle accident. And she, Chris is his name. And then lost his fiance, Kendra. And they both died. And she's just hurting. And she came here and reached out to me just saying, I need help. And my point that I made to the church was, we're going to be surrounded by people all the time. We're in a community of 900,000 people, and every day you're surrounded by people who are hurting, who are grieving, who are in pain, who are struggling, who are suffering. We're going to be a church that reaches out to people that are hurting. So that was my point. I kicked off with that, and then I went on with my regular sermon. Well, after the service, what, really, what was really fascinating was there was, so Bridget came up to me in tears and said, thank you, thank you. And this other family of five came up. And they had clearly been crying. You can tell on their faces that they've been crying. And they had sat in the very back row of the theater. Turns out they were the family of Kendra, the other girl who died in the accident. No connection to Bridget being there. They just happened to show up that day. So out of 900,000 people in the community and 142 that show up, five of them heard the preacher talk about their lost sister, which they were grieving terribly. And we've been praying, God, we'll do what we can do. I can get up and preach. I can't make that happen. Months later, I'm at what's called a Thunder over Louisville. Has anybody ever been over to Thunder? You guys should do, yes, amen. You guys, you guys should do a church trip because it is a top 10 bucket list thing to do and Louisville is only three hours away. It is ridiculous. It's the largest fireworks display in, in North, North America. I was in, Saint Patrick, in, in Dublin, Ireland on St. Patrick's Day and saw their fireworks display. It was nothing compared to what they do at Louisville. Louisville is ridiculous with this fireworks display. About 800,000 people show up for the air show and the fireworks. And so I decided to take a stack of church invitations about this big. They're just little business card invitations to church. And I find a little corner. It's shoulder to shoulder. I mean, people bumping you. So this is how much room you got to pass stuff out. And so I'm just putting them in the hands of every single person I can when they walk past. 
And I put him in the hands of this one guy, and he's got big ear gauges and tattoos all down his, down his arms. And, and uh, I noticed around me were all these church invitations that people had just thrown down on the ground. I mean, just piles of them, because my stack had gotten smaller and smaller. Well, this guy, his name's John. John says, he says, what's this? I said, well, it's an invitation to church. I said, it's a church for not-so-churchy people. You're, you're perfect, man. And <laughs> he, sa- he, says, he says, well, what's your take on homosexuality? I said, well, I, I said, I think it's a really complicated issue. And I said, I think there's gay people who, who don't give a rip about what God thinks. And I think there's gay people who do give a rip about what God thinks. And I think it's unfair to categorize them the same. I think it's more important to sit down and talk with people and figure out where they're coming from. And he said, now, see, that's what I think. He said, but there's this street preacher right down the road that's calling everybody faggots and queers and telling everybody they're going to hell. And he said, I just got in a big fight with him. And uh, I said, well, that's not how I would handle the topic. I said, but... Um, but let's talk about who we are, and, and I'd, like, I'd love for you to come out to our church. And so we had this uh, probably 20-minute conversation. Some neat things had been going on in John's life, and he had been actually thinking about God for the first time in years. And I said, well, here's what you need to do. I said, you need to get on our website and watch a couple of the sermons and see if you jive with us. And if, if, if you think you'd be a good fit and it might work for you, then come check us out. If not, here's my email address. Email me, and I'll try to hook you up with a church that might fit you better. He said, okay. Well, he emails me two weeks later on a Saturday night. I get this email. And John says, he says, I just watched your launch service, and I cried through the whole thing because I was Chris's best friend. So of the 800,000 people attending Thunder Over Louisville, he logs on, he's the one person all night that stopped to talk to me. And he gets on there and sees the very first thing out of the preacher's mouth is God cares about your suffering from your friend who died in the motorcycle accident. I still, I mean, sorry, it's kind of embarrassing. My hair's going. <laughs> we pray, God, you do what you, do, you can do, and we'll do what we can do. And he does. And that's the point, is that if you'll say, I can do that, he'll say, I'll do all the rest. I'm asking you to build a chicken coop. I'm asking you to go feed your neighbor. I'm asking you to show up early for church. I'm asking you to do this. this. I'm asking you to stop that bad behavior. And if the answer is, I can do that, And he'll say, I'll do the rest. I'll fill in the blanks. I'll take care of stuff. But he needs you to step up and say yes. This is David and Laura Rudolph. And David came to our church, oh, probably a year ago. And there's so many stories. I wish I had time to share all of them with you. But David came and showed up. And the very first time I met David, he walked up to me, shaking my hand on the way out of church, and the first thing out of his mouth, I said, hey, how you doing? I'm H. He says, he doesn't even tell me his name. He says, I tithe today. <laughs> he said, I've never done that before. I don't know why I did that. <laughs> and I said, I said, well, man, I, I really appreciate that. And he t- told me his name. And he had seen a sermon I did called Gay Stuff Online. And he had, he, had, he had clicked play to watch it to make fun of the preacher. And he watched it and he started thinking, I think some of the same things this guy thinks. So he started watching another sermon and another sermon and another sermon. And then he showed up. We baptized David a couple months after that, and baptized both of these guys. And David, when he was baptized, stood up and talked to the people that were observing his baptism. And he said, guys, he said, for 42 years of my life, I made fun of Christians. He said, if somebody told me that they had a relationship with God, I said, no, you don't. If somebody told me God said, I tell them, no, he didn't. And then he started weeping. He said, I was wrong. I was so wrong. And he's just weeping there in front of everybody. And he says, I wasted 42 years of my life. And I had the privilege and honor of baptizing David. And now these two, I mean, they have a servant's heart. They serve at our church all the time. They're the people that show up early and stay late, 
helping to set up and tear down and just serve. I mean, they set up the kids' ministry, the coffee. They, and if they get done with one task, they move to another task. They just love Jesus and love people. And it's been exciting to watch. So what does it mean to seize the day? What does it mean to glorify God and to delight in him forever? I think there's a passage in Proverbs that kind of sums it up. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. You can eat Cheetos and watch Office reruns for the rest of your life. You can. And it's a, it's a way that you can live your life. You can work hard, have a nice work ethic, raise your kids right and drive a cool car. But if you don't glorify God and delight in him forever, in my opinion, you've missed the boat on what it means to live real life. You won't get to see the stuff he wants to do through you. You as an individual, I wish I could look each one of you in the eye and say, you as an individual, you right there in that pink tangerine looking shirt right there. I don't mean to embarrass you, but your life, what he wants you to do is supremely valuable. Back here in the Carhartt shirt, what he wants you to do is unfathomably awesome. But it requires all of us to say, okay, it requires that posture of surrender that says, whatever you want. If you want me to build a chicken coop, I'll build a chicken coop. If you want me to go to Afghanistan, I'll go to Afghanistan. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'll do it. And if you trust him with all your heart and lean on him and not on yourself, he will make a path forward for you.